This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What's up, winners? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast, episode number 70. Today is Friday, November 16th, 2018. I am Patrick Moran. Coming up on today's show, I'll be joined for a second time by a man who does not mince many words when it comes to expressing his opinion. Mike Harrington of the Buffalo News joins me for a second time on the Moranalytics podcast, and I'm pretty confident that I'll have many strong takes. I will be talking to Mike about the surprisingly very hot start to the Buffalo Sabres season. I mean, look, it's the middle of November. We're not even talking about tanking yet. We're talking playoffs. We ain't talking about tanking. That is definitely different. The Sabres are 10-6-2 right now. And more importantly, they're fun to watch. We'll talk hockey. We'll talk some other stuff as well. Like I've said many times, Mike Harrington is an absolute lightning rod when it comes to sports media figures. Some fans love him. And some fans feel the opposite of love. But I'll tell you what, Mike is my guy, and he's an outstanding interview, so I'm really looking forward to that. Immediately after, I have the recurring Running With Joe segment with my buddy Joe. We're going to discuss Tim Graham having on OJ Simpson as a call-in guest on his show earlier this week. We'll talk some Nate Peterman reaction after the Buffalo Bills cut him on Monday. And we'll talk some of the crazy events going on in WWE this past week leading up to Survivor Series. Daniel Bryan becoming champion. Becky Lynch getting hurt bad, changing the course of that entire card. Just a nutty, nutty week if you're a wrestling fan. So yeah, got a solid interview and a segment to get to today. So on that note, Let's get right down to business. Here's my interview with Mike Harrington in the Buffalo News, followed by The Running With Joe. Okay, my guest today is a longtime sports writer at the Buffalo News, covering, of course, the Buffalo Sabres, as well as plenty of MLB stuff. He's been known to have a pretty strong opinion or two every now and then. And this is actually the second appearance on this podcast as he was first on all the way back on episode 11, it was. I'm talking, of course, about Mike Harrington. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? Patrick, always a pleasure. Thanks for uh, bringing me back into the captain's chair and uh, 
Yeah, how about this? We're in the middle of hockey season. We're not at Thanksgiving yet. The Sabres aren't eliminated yet. It's a, it's a different feeling. It definitely is. And it's a different feeling, by the way. I've heard through sources, those sources being you, that you're in Chicago, okay? I don't know if you knew this, but I was an investigative reporter in my past. I'm like the Sherlock Holmes of podcasting. Yeah. I'm talking to you while you're in Chicago on a Thursday night as we're taping, yet the Sabres ain't in Chicago. What's up, man? What do you got going on? What are you up to? Well, most people would say, oh, I'm on the way to Winnipeg. Well, that's not true. No, I just, you know, I took a little detour. I took a little break in the schedule and looked at a few things. And uh, you know, the Blackhawks played the St. Louis Blues last night. So I paid a visit to the St. Louis Blues. Maybe a former Sabre there might be a story coming up in the news recently. Uh, coming up in the news, coming up, a guy who used to play for the Sabres. And uh, went over to practice today and uh, might have talked to a prominent uh, Blackhawk from Buffalo for a story coming up on Sunday. Um, people want to look at their hockey cards or their websites and see wh what that prominent Blackhawk from Buffalo's birthday is coming up. Uh, a pretty seminal moment here, for <laughs> Mr. Patrick, Mr. Patrick Kane. You know, we even joked about that because it's the the next step for all these stars in the league, Sidney Crosby, Ovechkin, Jonathan Taze, and now Patrick Kane, they're all 30 plus players and they've been around a long time. Yeah. Time's just flying. It's hard to believe that Patrick Kane's going to be 30 years old. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about draft day in Columbus in 2007 and some funny stories about that. And you'll have to read the Buffalo news to see what he had to say. But he, his point was simply that the number of, events that he's gone through in his career stanley cups olympics world cup world championships and here he is at age 30 and it's you know 12 years going and yeah, it was a it's a pretty turbulent time for the blackhawks in the wake of joel quenville's firing so you know patrick kane's trying to now be a veteran leader in this team because jeremy colton the new coach is like three years older than patrick kane so the veterans here really have to turn things around. They had lost eight in a row until they squeezed out a one nothing win over St. Louis. So they're, they got some work to do here if they want to get back in the race. Well, I'm looking forward to reading that on Sunday for sure. I'm going to get to a couple Sabres questions for you in a minute. First, I'm going to get right to the big controversial question that everyone wants to know. What's your beef with DJ Milk? I think that is absolutely hilarious. It's, you know what? I'm starting to look forward to your rants about DJ Milk more than I am the actual Sabres games. <laughs> I am sour on DJ Milk. Yes, you are. It has nothing to do with DJ Milk, the person. I don't know DJ Milk. I have never met the man. I'm sure he does a fine job. Here's the thing. He is at Bill's training camp. I know Sean McDermott loves it. He does provide atmosphere at Bill's training camp. The players love him. That's what you do. You bring the atmosphere to camp. Okay. <clears throat> you don't need a DJ at a hockey game playing rap music volume um they're doing it now in ottawa it was ridiculous and, and really this seemed to come to a head the other night against tampa pat um the number of people complaining they simply could not even have a conversation in the arena because of the noise from the music and the noise in the intermissions from dj milk um it's unnecessary that's not game entertainment i think as i go around the nhl a lot of game presentation managers all seem to go to the same seminars. And that seminar says louder and headbanging more is better. And it just isn't. It just isn't. I don't understand this trend in, quote, game presentation, unquote, where we have to have as loud a possible noise 
in these arenas. And it's just, it's really, it's a scourge. It's not just a Buffalo thing. I see it all over the league. It's mind boggling to me. That's what I was going to ask you. You know, it's one thing for a fan to complain of whether they like it or whether they love it. They're only in Buffalo. They only go to Buffalo games. You're a guy who goes around the whole league. You're in these, all these buildings. I was going to ask you that. Is that a trend that's becoming more and more popular? Really loud DJ anthem type music during games? It's a trend and the intermissions are worse. And I'll tell you a story. We were just in Ottawa a couple weeks ago and Paul Hamilton, the veteran WGR reporter does an intermission segment. Each intermission, he talks back to the studio, what's going on in the game. Mm-hmm. The first intermission of the Sabres game in Ottawa a couple weeks ago, they cut the segment short because Paul could not hear Brian Koziel in the studio through his headset because of the noise in the arena from the DJ during the first intermission in Ottawa. Wow. That's how bad it has gotten in some of these arenas. It's completely unnecessary. I have no idea. You know, when you get all the things on Twitter, old man yells at the cloud. You know, No, <laughs> it's not that. It's ridiculous. And uh, I am not the only person bringing this up. And let me tell you something. My Twitter feed was flooded during the Tampa Bay game with people complaining. They were in the seats. They couldn't have a conversation. They tried going in the concourse and the intermissions. This is not a Mike Harrington crusade. I'm getting this from fans all the time. Yeah, I believe you. I definitely hear you. Let's talk Sabres for a few minutes here. That's why I really wanted to get you on this podcast. Because like you said, things are not what we expected. I hear a lot of fans talk about it, but obviously I I want your perspective. You cover the team full-time. How important has the off-season acquisition of Jeff Skinner been to this team? How much does he account for this team being 10-6-2 to start the season? Yeah, it really does. I mean, you're looking at the number two goal scorer in the league. Now, I really thought this team was probably going to be a mid-80s point team, and they certainly were going to be improved once they got Dallin. Um, nobody envisioned, <clears throat> excuse me, nobody envisioned the trade of Jeff Skinner came out of the blue one night in August. Nobody envisioned Jeff Skinner playing like he has. Um, but they put Jeff Skinner back with Jack Eichel when we were in Los Angeles. And keep in mind, if you look at Jeff Skinner's numbers now, the first four games of the season, he had no points. Right. So everything he's done has been starting in game five, which really emphasizes how good he's been. Um, but what Jeff Skinner has done is really help this team and it spreads through the whole team. One of the big differences for the Sabres is they can score. We haven't been able to say that for a long time. It sounds very basic, but they can run up goals during a game. They can come from behind in a game like we saw against Vancouver. The game isn't over when they're losing three to one anymore. You know, for the last three years, they're down three to one. It's go home. Um, that's a big factor in this team. Jeff Skinner creates that. And when you have a line, Eichel, Skinner, Pominville, now it's Reinhardt, a team that has an elite line is usually a winning team. Look what's going on in Boston right now. Look what's going on in Colorado right now. When you have that one great line, that usually is enough to carry a team to a lot of points. And that's what we're seeing. Now, I'm not sure how you regard the goaltending play over the past few years with Leonard and Johnson. But one thing is clear, Carter Hutton, Seems to be an upgrade so far. Are we seeing firsthand this season the significance of goaltending, especially when it's somewhat consistent? Or is it just a matter of, well, not just a matter, but there's better players around him right now, which is making him look better than maybe last year's team made Leonard look? You know what I mean? There's a little of that. Um, you know, I think most goaltending is largely the same, except when you have the real elite top guys. And then when you have what the Sabres had last year with the goaltending really cost them a lot of games. Um, 
Leonard didn't get the job done at the end of games. There were a lot of goals in the third period. There were goals in overtime. Two years ago, of course, Leonard had the shootout issues. What we're seeing from Carter Hutton late in games is a lot of clutch saves to get them wins. We saw the way he held the fort against Tampa. Don't forget here this current three-game winning streak they're on really started in Montreal where they pulled Linus Allmark after two periods, down five to four, put Hutton in, and 15 seconds into the third period, off the bench, Hutton stops a breakaway when the Habs are shorthanded. Yeah. The Sabres end up tying the game, winning in overtime. That's a clutch save. The Sabres didn't get enough clutch saves last year from Leonard and Chad Johnson. There were times where they both played pretty well, but they just didn't make the saves at the key times of the game. And Hutton is really showing the ability to do that. And that's something that's really helping this club. And, you know, you look at the numbers by the brute numbers, they were down at the bottom two or three last year. And they're in the middle this year, 14, 15 and average and whatever. It's a big improvement in goal. And, you know, you did not know how Carter Hutton would re- respond to being a starter really for the first time in his career. And so far it looks like a tremendous addition. Now as a reporter who's been in this building home and on the road pretty much every day during the season, how much has the culture changed in the locker room since last year? Or is it more to you just a matter of having better players in the locker room than they did last year in regards to culture? How much do you believe in that word culture and how much is it just better players? What's your take? You know, it's, it's a lot of it's better players. All this talk about culture last year. If they hadn't started out so poorly, I would have liked to have seen what the culture of last year's team was. But since they started out so poorly, they went five games without a win. They, they won 11 of their first 38. Everybody says the culture was terrible. Maybe just the team was terrible. The goaltending was bad. There weren't enough good players. Uh, but there's no question Jason Botterill went for a different look here. He got rid of Evander Kane He at the trade deadline, like he probably had to. The Leonard situation became untenable. And then we found out, obviously, about the personal demons Leonard, Leonard was dealing with. And they made the key decision to move on from Ryan O'Reilly. Um, I still don't totally agree with that, but I get it. And you know what? You can't argue the results. Ryan O'Reilly's playing great with St. Louis, but Buffalo is in the standings right now. And even though they haven't gotten much from the three acquisitions they got for that trade, and I, I still think they could have gotten a little more, but maybe the culture has to be a factor here if the team is doing that much better. Now, you say the locker room is a happier place. Well, yeah, they're winning, but I just think it was a bad mix last year. Botterill even said it's not working. I think Botterill wanted to get rid of Tim Murray's prime acquisitions. He wanted to open some salary cap space, and that's what he's done. Earlier today, I was browsing the internet. I hit up NHL.com. They had the Sabres debuting in their power rankings, coming in at number 12. Do you think the start that Buffalo had, do you think it's catching the attention of the fans in the league all over beyond just Buffalo? Do you think anyone's taking the Sabres seriously at this point beyond just Buffalo fans? Or is it too I early? think people, yeah, I think people are starting to take them seriously. I mean, they've already got 10 wins in 18 games. Last year, it took 38 games. I think people were paying attention to them anyway, just to follow the progress of Darlene. And I think we're seeing now that Jeff Skinner is becoming one of the big stories in the league. And people are really starting to take notice of that. Um, I think the game the other night was pretty significant. We spent so much time talking about the Leafs, Pat. I mean, the Leafs, the media, the rivalry, the fans. You know, the Leafs haven't won a playoff series since 2004. Wow. If the Buffalo Sabres want to ever get anywhere in this league, if fans ever have any designs of the Stanley Cup, the Buffalo Sabres have to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. Not the Leafs, 
<clears throat> the Tampa Bay Lightning went to the Cup Final in 15. They lost in Game 7 of the East Final in 16. They lost in Game 7 of the East Final in 18, both of the eventual Cup champions. They're the team you're going to have to compete with and beat someday. Not the Leafs. The Leafs have to still prove a lot. They haven't won a playoff series yet under Babcock with the Matthews, Marner, all that new era. They look so good, but they still have a lot to prove. The Tampa Bay Lightning are the winners, and you have to be able to compete and play with them. And that was why, to me, that was a pretty significant win. Now, between Skinner's blazing start and the arrival of Darlene, which you mentioned, it almost feels like their franchise player, Jack Eichel, is at least a little bit flying under the radar. He's only got four goals, but he does have 19 points in 18 games. What's your assessment of Jack Eichel right now so far in year four? You know, I'm just really torn. I mean, I love Jack's game right now. I love the dominance with the puck. I love the way he's taking over. I love the personal maturity I see. I love the leadership in the dressing room. Um, Do you need to see Jack Eichel score goals? It's an interesting question. If Jack Eichel has 14 goals this year and... 72 points would that be a good season for 10 million dollars i don't know maybe it might be if jeff skinner has 45 goals right i i've always felt i'm paying that guy money i need 40 goals uh jack is going to test my faith in that point because i like how jack's playing a lot right now and then you look at it jack's got one goal in the last 15 games Jack's got four goals for the season. Two came against Vegas. So in 18 games this year, Jack has only scored in three of them. Now, Jack wants to score more, but he kind of subscribes to that theory that he's a distributor and if other guys are scoring. So I I get it. I'm torn about that. I want to see how this continues to play out. We're through, you know, the first 18 games. Let's see how we are through another 15 or 20 games. I mean, I don't think for $10 million, no matter how many assists you have, you can't have a 14-goal season. Um, but it's, I, I, the other thing I think of, he's going to score his shooting percentage is career low. I, I continue to say he's shooting in bad luck. He has a lot of shots. I do think it's one of those. This is going to turn around in terms of the puck going in the net for Jack Eichel. I want to circle back to Skinner for a minute here. If the Sabres end up signing him to a long-term deal, I'm pretty sure that they would want to. It's obviously, it's going to be very expensive. Do you think if that happens, that it likely comes at the expense that Sam Reinhart won't be here long-term? I think Botterill has stumbled into this. I don't think they ever thought they were signing Jeff Skinner to a long-term deal. I think they thought, let's see if we can get something going this year, and you know, we can flip Jeff Skinner at the deadline for quite a bit. He'll be the best rental in the whole league. And they had maybe the top rental last year in Evander Kane. I don't think this was ever thought of. And now, if Jeff Skinner scores 40 goals, what do they do? What do you do? Do you have to give Jeff Skinner seven years and $8 million? Maybe. Maybe, and you're right. You're going to need to do some things with the salary cap because down the road you're going to pay Dali, and I think you're going to have to potentially sacrifice Sam Reinhardt if this continues. I mean, people are up at arms. Well, let's sign Skinner and negotiate now. It's still only 18 games into the season. Let's not get crazy here. Right. Um, but boy, it, it's a good problem to have, but I think it's a situation the Sabres never really thought would come to fruition. And I think Botterill is kind of circling back already and kind of thinking about how he's going to play this one, because every time that puck goes in the net, you hear that little cha-ching in the background. <laughs> and we heard it again the other night against Tampa, the puck went in the net. And I said to myself, cha-ching right there. I mean, we're, 
we're looking at now up to 13 goals. Uh, this guy's going to get paid with a capital P if this keeps up. Sure. Now, we both mentioned Darlene a few minutes ago. Is he meeting, exceeding, or maybe playing a little bit below your own personal expectations on what you had for him as an 18-year-old rookie? Where is he at in your mind right now? He's about where I thought. I like the way they're protecting him. I would be running Darlene out there in all spots. I'd play him 24 minutes a night, you know, but I think sometimes I'm a little guilty of the current draft situation where they push players who are at the top of the NHL draft, which never used to be done. I think the Sabres are handling it much better. Darlene's still on the third pair. Once in a while, he gets on the power play. They're very calm with him, 17, 18 minutes. Um, and that's going to bring him along the right way. What I love is the vision on the ice, uh, the passing, the skating, the way he can break the puck out of his own just by skating on his own. And I think of the tying goal against Vancouver, Pat. It's one of my favorite plays of the year. And everybody thinks of Ristolainen going down the wing and the terrible rebound, but Reinhardt's right there to take it off Markstrom's pad. How did that whole play start? Roll it back on your DVRs. Roll it back on the web and look at Darlene making a diagonal pass across all three zones, finding Ristolainen in stride. That was an unbelievable play from an 18-year-old with a minute 50 left in a one-goal game. And that's the kind of thing Darlene is doing here, a little more and more, sometimes real noticeable, sometimes sneaky good. You know, his numbers aren't there yet offensively. He's 18. He's a defenseman. He just has to play defense first. And I think back to talking to Dennis Potvan about this on the phone in June. And that's what he said. This kid will come along great if Phil makes him play defense first. And I think the Sabres are doing a great job at that. Now, you're a sports writer. And what sports writers don't love giving out awards? We're nearing the quarter point of the season. So just for fun, give me your quarter season point, team MVP, and team LVP. I'm pretty sure I know who the MVP is. I'm interested in hearing who you think is the least valuable player right now through 18 games. Not the worst, but maybe the least valuable. Well, yeah, obviously the MVP of the team is Jeff Skinner. Right, yeah. Okay. Um, the least valuable saver right now, to me, <laughs> it's a tough one. I'm okay with most of the defensemen. They have eight goals, by the way, and they had none until December last year. That's another big factor. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> the internet wants to skewer Johan Larson, and that's last year. Johan Larson's been very good. The guy that I can't get past the disappointment scale has to be Zemgis Gergensen. You know, he's a former first-round pick. He's never going to play up to that level. He's never going to be a first-round pick kind of guy. He's a fourth-line guy. He's had a lot of good moments, you know, in terms of checking and penalty kill. But you just are left wanting more. You just want to see some conversion, some offense. You know, and I, I know there's... You know, people are going to say Patrick Berglund as well, who's had 20 goal seasons in St. Louis, and now he's been a healthy scratch twice. So it's a it's a close battle there in terms of those two guys, in terms of guys that I really need to see more of than we've seen so far. It's crazy to think that it wasn't too long ago where Gerges was playing on a top line. Last Sabres question, or then we'll move on. Do you think it's realistic to expect Buffalo to continue to play at this pace? I mean, right now they're on pace for 100 points, which I'm not sure anyone expects that to last. But do you think this team can hold right around that playoff threshold mark all year? Or are you expecting at some point a significant drop-off? 
Well, I don't expect a significant drop off. Drop off. Their numbers don't show that that'll happen. They're not shooting in great luck. They're not goaltending in great luck. Uh, they're they're good with the lead. They don't lose games. They lead. I just think that you know. I thought they were an 85 point team. I might be a little low. They're probably a 90 point team. Can they hold on? I don't know. You know, the schedule is going to get tough now. They have played a relatively easy schedule at this point. That's why the Tampa win was big. And now let's see Minnesota, Winnipeg, Pittsburgh. Let's see if some of these games go coming up. San Jose is coming to town soon. Um, but I like what I see. And ultimately, one of the things, Pat, is they can score now. And they have not been able to score for five years. you got to be able to put the puck in the net. You can't win one or two goals a night. They can have a four or five goal game. We saw a nine goal game already. That's a big, big difference. And that's what is so different about this team this year. Now, i got a couple things I want to hit on. And then I'll let you go. I know you got a lot going on. First time I had you back on this podcast, which, like I said, was back in, it was on April 11th, okay? All was normal in the world of the Buffalo News Sports Department, at least on the surface anyway. Of course, not long after, it was an exodus of writers from the department. Let me say this. Talking about what actually happened is beating a dead horse at this point. Plus, the stories will always vary depending on who you talk to. I don't care about any of that. That's old news now. You know what I mean? I do want to ask you this. How big an adjustment was it and has it been not just for you, but for you, but not just for you and the entire sports department in general, since all those people left in such a short amount of time. How difficult was it at the time and how big an adjustment was it for you? Well, I think the biggest thing for me was before professionally was personally. I mean, to have John Vogel, my cohort for 12 years in the Sabres beat leave and, you know, to lose Bucky and Sully, who I've been with the entire time. I was the first person basically at the paper that Sully ever talked to. And the first person that helped him file a story is first assignment in Toronto in 1989 at a Blue Jays game. So the, the paper did a really good job of just checking in with, in with me every day for a week or so, just taking my pulse and seeing how I was doing with the whole thing. Cause it was a big adjustment to me is now one of the most senior guys left. Um, Everybody makes their own personal decisions. Everybody left for different reasons. Right. Um, and so then what happens next? You have to then move to the next step. And we brought in new people. We have Jason Wolf. We have Rachel Lindsay. We have Lance Lysowski, the new Sabres writer, helping me now and really doing a great job. He's going to be taking the lead on the beat. Well, I'm more back to the columnist role. Um, he's on the road trip this weekend. He just started in the last few days. So everybody has probably seen him a little on Twitter, seen me retweeting some of his things. And we have to now go back and become a team again. And we have to become a team with people we don't know. We have to learn what these people like. We have to learn what makes them tick. The readers have to learn to make what makes them tick. Let's not forget here, Pat. People didn't know Jerry Sullivan in 1989. You know, there was a long adjustment period sure. to learn who, who was Jerry Sullivan. Sure. You know, and now Jerry Sullivan became an icon in Buffalo. So, you know, things have to go back to that time again where people are going to have to learn about our new staff, learn about what makes them tick. Um, you know, and we're moving forward and producing a lot of great stories. And, you know, Rachel's done a great job covering the UB football story. And Jason Wolf has been all over the place with Bills and Sabres and colleges and and Lance will be doing a tremendous number of different Sabre stories. So we're here to produce the product. That mission has not changed. It has never changed. Um, but yeah, it, it's a, it's been an incredibly 
interesting, shall we say, time for me as somebody who's been here a long time. And I just tell people we're moving forward still and the mission does not change. We're here to produce the best package and the best sports coverage in Western New York. And that's what we're going to do. Lance is going to be on my podcast next Friday, by the way. I'm looking forward. I haven't spoken with him yet. I'm looking forward to getting to know him and fans getting to know him as well. I think that'll be pretty cool to have him on. Now, for a while, man, before some of these guys started coming in, it was like you were on an island. You were pretty much by yourself covering the Sabres, at least for the most part, by yourself. That had to be incredibly hard to do. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's public. People know it. Uh, you know, after... John took the buyout and we had a process to hire. We hired Jeff Nyberg, a solid young guy from Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And he had a lot of potential. He was very enthusiastic and he worked a week and, you know, got terrible news that, you know, he had a brain tumor and he had to resign his position. And I'm not revealing anything. He has publicly written about it and it's been on the internet. So that really, threw us all for a loop and forget about the news for a second. You feel terrible for a guy who, who was really into the fact he got this great job opportunity, had to leave and go home. Yeah, sure. And he made the right call to be with his family and be where his doctors were. So the problem then that's early in September, a lot of people who you might've talked to about joining us to cover the Sabres already had their jobs for this season. Yeah. So we kind of had to double back, but in the interim, you know, yeah, I had to basically cover training camp mostly on my own and cover the <laughs> it team. It was crazy, thankfully, man. I was like, how many stories did Rachel, you Rachel out? and Jason pitched in, but I had to make all the trips. And, you know, it was tough. And we got Lance, and we had to wait. Lance was covering the Pirates for DK Pittsburgh Sports. So you had to wait until the baseball season ended, you know, before you could get Lance into town. But uh, it it, uh, it was it was a tough time because you're right. You, you were kind of on the island and doing all the trips and all the preseason games, but uh, it's just one of those things. Life sometimes throws you a curveball. And I've had a lot of curveballs lately, given you know all the departures from the staff. And then you think we've got this terrific new guy coming in, and you know, and that happens to him, and you feel terrible. And I think we're very fortunate in the wake of that that we were able to get Lance Lysowski here, another terrific addition. And you don't normally get the chance to have two great additions like that. And we were very fortunate to get him and the timing worked out because, you know, Jeff Nyberg was a big loss and we're certainly keeping, keeping him in our thoughts. Sure. It's just good to see things getting back to normal again. Second, last question, Mike, then I'll let you go. I want to play a little bit of fantasy book in here. All right. Because Buffalo doesn't have a major league baseball team and I, and I like baseball. Let's pretend just for fun. Well, it wouldn't be fun for you that the Buffalo news folded tomorrow. Okay. And, and there's no more hockey hockey folds too. All right. As a result, I say, Mike Harrington, you could go work covering the beat for any major league baseball team that you want, any team, but you got to take into account everything. You got to take into account the city, which you obviously have to move to, the players on the team, the management, fans, everything. All those factors added in. If you had a choice, who would be that team that you would want to go cover and why? That's a tough one. I know it is. I love it. I thought it took me all day to think of that, by the way. You know, um, I'm, I'm going through my head here. You think of things like, well, I can't possibly cover the Cubs because there's no way I could deal with those tiny clubhouses at Wrigley Field every day <laughs> of my life. You know, fans don't think of things like that. That's the first thing I think about that. You know, but obviously I have had a long-term relationship covering the Cleveland Indians. I've had a long-term relationship covering the Toronto Blue Jays. Those would certainly be two teams that I would, you know, 
under your hypothetical situation, remember, yeah. hypothetical situation, <laughs> that those, those two teams I, I'd always be interested in covering. And I was very fortunate to really cover the Indians almost like a beat writer in some of their glory days here in 2007. In fact, when they got to game seven of the ALCS, I was there every day through the postseason. The manager, the pitching coach, about 15 of the players, the broadcaster, the trainer were all ex-Bison people. So it was like covering the Cleveland Indians every day anyway. So those would be two things. I love Cleveland as a city. I love Toronto as a city. I think if you were to really pin me down, I would say you'd want to cover the Blue Jays. You'd want to live in one of those high-rise condos right by the ballpark, never get in a car, just walk to the stadium every day. You'd be all set. <laughs> I had, By the way, I had you, when I first had you on the podcast, we talked about you being a baseball Hall of Fame voter now. This is unrelated, okay? But what the hell's wrong with some baseball writers, man? How does Miguel Andahar not win AL Rookie of the Year? How does that happen? You know, it's just, it's weird. If I, you know, I have had in, often on some years Rookie of the Year votes. I certainly would have voted Andahar this year. I probably would have had Otani probably third. You know, but I don't, I don't uh, mind people's votes. I mean, everybody looks at the game differently. You know, I don't like sometimes the transparency is good, but I don't like the fact that social media now savages you and you're transparent. You look at the guy today in San Diego who didn't vote for Jacob deGrom. Eh, I don't agree with the fact he didn't vote for Jacob deGrom for the Cy Young. He was the only one. I don't agree with the fact the man is getting savaged as being an idiot. That's his vote. He has a right. Now, he shouldn't have gone on New York City radio and then once he did, he shouldn't have hung up on WFAN because that just created a whole new layer of the situation. But, you know, I don't like getting savage for votes. You know, what happened to me a few years ago in Rookie of the Year when I dared to put Francisco Lindor third instead of second, he didn't win the thing anyway, I don't think. And people in Cleveland freaked out. I mean, it's I don't mind outliers. Is it really an outlier vote? The guy in San Diego voted Max Scherzer for the NL Cy Young instead of Jacob DeGrom. Right. Is that an outlier vote? Really? I think part of what's going on now is we're promoting too much groupthink, and that's not good either. Okay, last question, Mike. This is a big one, too. A huge one. The Sabres play at Tampa on November 29th, and then they play in Tampa again on February 21st. Here's my question. You buying us lunch one of those days? <laughs> that away. That's right. I'm gonna let's hold see. you to that, man. We're gonna we'll the grab first some lunch. One, let's see the the first trip. I'm definitely. On, I think I'm on both trips to Tampa this year. You know, you have me on the podcast twice. That means you definitely get lunch. I mean, it's just a it's just a slam dunk. I mean, it's just not it's just it's not a question of if. It's just a question of where and when. Yeah, we'll hook up for sure, guys. You can follow Mike on Twitter at by M Harrington. Of course, read the Buffalo News, support your local newspaper. Thanks for your time, buddy. Enjoy your flight back home when you get home. Thanks for doing the podcast again. All right, Patrick. Anytime. Thank you. All right, it is time for the Running With Joe. As always for this, I am joined by my buddy Joe from New York City. You can follow him on Twitter, at Buffalo Wins. Joe, what's going on, my man? 
It's only the middle of November, and it is like abnormally cold in the big city. How you doing, man? You staying warm? Yeah, it's 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 cold as hell. I hate when people like you who live in Florida and you're like, oh, how's the weather up there? <laughs> I was being Everyone I was being cynical. That. You got me. All Everyone right, man. does that. Am I usually when I'm working or I have to like cold call places throughout the country? Anytime it's like if I meet, if I talk to someone in Florida, I'm like, oh, Harry, how's everything in Florida going? Oh, it's 82 degrees and it's sunny and the beach is beautiful. I'm like, okay, great. I don't care about that. Just say I don't blame you. I'm I'm being cynical. In fairness, though, it's kind of payback because all summer long when I'm dying up here, the humidity is just unbearable and it's literally raining every single day. And all my friends back up in Buffalo are out living life at the Pearl Street, you know, Thursday in the square, doing all kinds of fun shit, lawn fates, carnivals, things like that. They're out having right. a good time and I'm dying. So it kind of feels like a little bit of payback, but it doesn't mean I want you to be cold. I don't want you to be cold. I want you to be comfortable. Yeah. I was just I'm asking. Not, not, At least part I'm of not, me was being polite. Yeah. I'm, I'm not ready for winter, man. Winter is coming as uh, the Starks would say. It sucks. <laughs> so anyway. Well, you are in New York City. Speaking of New York City, you went out and got yourself a nice little NYC slash New Jersey spring gift shortly before we started taping this tonight. What'd you go get, man? Uh, I got my WrestleMania tickets. Yeah, that's clutch. I'm, I'm super. It was definitely one of those like. So I, I had not known that they had gone out to like, to like. It's supposed to go to the general public on Fridays, but I guess they have one of those stupid password. Like if you are a WWE Net, Network the subscriber, you got the uh, email stating, "Hey, put in this password," which was network. So if I put. I didn't realize that it was going on sale that soon. So I, I put the password in and I was thinking, I'm like, do I want to get them or should I wait till they go on StubHub? And I asked a couple of people, a couple of friends of mine who have gone to a bunch of WrestleManias because I've never gone to a WrestleMania before. Oh, really? And they were, yeah, I ne- I've never done a WrestleMania. I, di- I didn't do the one. In, I've, it's weird, man. Like I had always been the guy, like there was WrestleMania 20, which was here in New York. I, which was, I was still living here. You went to it? Yes, I did. I went to three straight. That was the last one wow. that I went to. I went to 18 or no, I'm sorry. No, I went to three straight. I don't remember the order, but I know I went to New York City, and that was the last one. Yeah, I went to, I think 18 was in Toronto, 19 was in Seattle, and 20 was at MSG. I went to all three of those. At the time, me and some friends were going every year. We made a pact that we would go every year. That lasted three years. MSG was the last one, but I did go to that one. Yeah, wow. I mean, I was going to go. I remember like being like, I think I was 24 at the time when when the WrestleMania 20 came and I was like, uh, I can't afford this the hell with that. And then, and then when 30 came here, it was one of those things where I had wrestling friends and we were, I was like, yo guys, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And they all like kind of were like, oh, yeah, we'll get tickets. Don't worry. Don't worry. And then they all like kind of bow, like, oh, I'm not going, I'm not going. And then I was like, okay, fuck. Uh, you know, I was kind of going through this thing where I didn't, I don't want to go by myself. But now since I went to the SummerSlam by myself where I sat behind Ronda Rousey, which we talked about before on the podcast, I was like, fuck this. I'm doing it by myself. And I I was debating, like, so do I wait till it goes on StubHub or do I do it now? And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to do it now. And I got some I got some killer seats. I'm like sitting in like the 100s. So basically, like, think of think of it as a stadium, obviously, like if you're at a Bills game or, at you know, it's the same seating regiment of like the 100s are like the low level of the, the lower bowl. And it's kind of parallel to the ramp. So it's basically like there's the entrance and then there's the ramp, the ramp. So like the middle of the ramp basically is where I am parallel to that. So I was like, yeah, you know, and I'm like ninth row up. So I was down with it. I spent a lot. 
And I probably made the right decision because I went to StubHub afterwards. I got them on Ticketmaster, yeah. and they're already on StubHub. And the StubHub one was at least a hundred dollars more for where I was, where I had got them. Nah, you're so, a, you're a wrestling fan, man. It's a good investment. You'll be happy yeah. that you did it. You know, I might suck right now to take that hit to your wallet. If it comes springtime, you already got it taken care of. You won't be yeah. looking around for and tickets. Was, You'll be happy. Yeah, and, and Rich, Rich fan, who I think he's been on your podcast before. Yep. He's coming up here. And we're doing a bunch of wrestling shows that weekend, and I, I we I don't I I told I gave him full autonomy. I'm like, dude, just book as many wrestling shows as you want. I'll give you the money. And the only thing he wasn't going to do was WrestleMania because he's got a press pass. Lucky him. Yeah. Through there, and I was like, well, I'm doing this by myself because I, I I've always wanted to go to Mania. I've all it's always been one of those things like you talked about, like you had a pet with your friends, where I always was like, you know what, I need to do this. It has to be now because they're not going to come back here probably for another seven, eight years at least probably. And I have to do it now. So I'm yeah, very excited. It, it's worth I, it. It'll be memorable. Yeah, I, get, I gave a huge fist pump. When I purchased it, I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm happy. So anyways. Well, we're going to talk WWE in a few. It was yet again a very memorable WWE week and not necessarily for all the right reasons this time. Before we get to that, though, listen, you're my. You're probably my go-to guy when it comes to sports media. I think that you're very unbiased. You don't play favorites. I think you sort of call it like it is. You might not be right, but you call things the way you see them anyway. I'm totally biased. What are you talking yeah, about? I, hate I don't John think Morrow. so. I can't stand them. No, go ahead. Yes. I, but I'm, seriously, I'm okay, so we're taping yeah. this segment late Wednesday night. I didn't even know about it until after the fact because it wasn't promoted ahead of time. I was busy Wednesday, so I didn't get to listen. To be honest with you, I'm not quite sure I would have anyway, considering who the guest was. But Tim Graham, who I think is one of the best writers in the business, if not maybe the best writer in the business. He also has his own radio show on Wednesdays. And he had on a controversial guest, to say the least. OJ Simpson called into his show. Obviously, that sparked a lightning rod of commentary from people on Twitter, both good and bad, mostly bad. Let's be honest here because of who the guest was highly controversial. I want to ask you, you're the guy I like to talk to most about sports media. What are your thoughts on Tim Graham having somebody like OJ Simpson on his show? Yeah. I mean, for full transparency, I did. I tweeted out like when I heard he was on, I did definitely say I'm not listening to this. And then I decided to listen to it anyway because I just I knew like we were gonna do a podcast tonight. And I was like, you know what, we should probably bring this up. So I listened to it and you know, in, I kind of feel the same way I felt when Tim did the interview with him in the newspaper. I, it's a good it's a good get in terms of oh hey, it's OJ. But I think the shine of getting OJ again. It's it wears off very quickly if that makes sense because it's like great you got him on you know we and I'm going back to like the newspaper article he had where you get him after he gets out of prison and you're the exclusive fine great but you can't ask him about the murders you know which I'm assuming they talked about before like hey we're just going to talk sports blah 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 we're not going to ask you what happened on the night of your freaking of the murder or what happened on the night of you getting sent to prison for the memorabilia stuff. Like you hear like there's always these preconditions of like interviews with like sports athletes. Like, hey, don't talk or ask about this. And fine. You know, sometimes you need to get that exclusive. But something like that, that's like the 700 pound gorilla in the room right there. Like, oh, hey, by the way, you were accused of murder, which everyone kind of thinks you did it. The evidence points to you. And 
you know, you also went to prison for, you know, the armed robbery, that bullshit, which was kind of a weird sentence, you know, whatever the case may be. Like, it's a big, it's a big gorilla in that room. And second, I think for me, I don't personally really care what OJ thinks about, you know, sports takes right now. I just yeah. don't. I think, I don't know what he's, I mean, he was in jail for 10 years. I don't know if he was watching, if he was watching the bills in there. I mean, was he? I, I have no idea. And so I think that's kind of like where I kind of stand on it for the most part is just like, you know, what's the point, you know, in all of this? And why should I care? Like, why should I care what OJ thinks about the bills? Like, I, I you know, for a guy who has been kind of so out of the limelight and every time you put him in the limelight, you, you think of him as, uh, you know, just kind of this this pathetic figure. Well, l- let me say this, and I'm going to be very careful with my wording here because I want to make sure that my point is represented correctly and not, you know, blown out of context. I respect Tim Graham as much or more than anybody. And if I'm being completely honest with you, if I happen to have had, you know, a contact, OJ Simpson, I should say, a friend of his or a contact of his happened to know me and were to contact me and say that OJ Simpson would be interested in coming on and doing your podcast, who am I to say no? I would do it. You know, I'm a, I'm a sports media person, so to speak. And I would be having someone on the show that not pretty much, actually nobody else would have. People are going to probably want to listen to that. And as somebody in the sports media, I feel like it would be my responsibility to have him on. I don't like the fact that he won't open himself up to questions about what people really want to hear. And that's kind of where the balance is and where my problem with all this comes in is I don't think, and again, credit to Tim Graham for getting OJ Simpson on. I mean, what a huge get. You said it yourself. That's a big get. But nobody gives a shit about what OJ Simpson thinks about football, the Buffalo Bills, concussions, fantasy football. I'm going by some comments I heard from Twitter. I didn't listen to the interview. I probably will just because it's Tim, although I hate OJ Simpson. But anyway, here's my point. I probably would do the same if I had the opportunity to get him on because I have a podcast and I just feel like, you know, I would have somebody on that no one else does. But I personally don't like OJ Simpson. I don't want to hear from him and I don't give a shit what he thinks about football. If you're not going to be able to ask him about murders or, you know, hardcore prison stuff, then I really don't have he's nothing that he could say that's going to interest me. Now, in fairness to Tim, again, He did say on Twitter that the interview is not for everyone. He doesn't expect everyone to be excited about OJ Simpson being on the show. If you listen, great. And if you don't listen, great. So, I mean, he did put that out there, but uh, I don't know. I'd have him on, but I I don't know that I would feel good about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I I don't know. Like Twitter's, I felt, and I I don't know the, like who, how many people are listening to Tim Graham's show. I mean, it's a newer show. He said that you there's know, no ratings, not to cut you off. I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry about that. But he, he has said that the show's not metered. There's no ratings. Yeah. So it's not like. Which isn't a good, he, which isn't a great sign. Well, if, you're, well, if you're not. True. If you're not but the, metered, I agree. that means you're kind of small time. A little I, bit, sadly. Uh, you could be right about that. But my point being is that by him saying that he didn't, that he didn't do it for ratings because they're not even being, there is no rating. Yeah. I mean, he did it. For, look, hopefully, I mean, look, I. If he gets if he got extra listens on it, then great. It was the right decision. I just don't. It's exactly kind of how you articulated it. Like I just don't care about what OJ Simpson has to say. 
I just feel like it's one of those rare situations where there's no real wrong opinion on how you feel about OJ Simpson being on a radio show. You know what I mean? If you want to hear from OJ Simpson, I don't think you're wrong for that. If you think that Tim Graham is doing the right thing by having someone on his show that you're not going to hear anywhere else, then I think you're right. Conversely, if you don't give a shit what OJ Simpson has to say, I think you're right. And if you think he's a cold-blooded murderer who shouldn't be out here breathing the free air and should go take a gun and blow his head off, then I think you're right too. I don't think there's any wrong opinion on this matter. I think he had him on for 32 minutes. I think that was a little bit too long. Like, cut it to one segment and get out. But again, I don't, you know, he'll have the listens on, he has a podcast. So if his podcast doubles, triples, then hey, what do I know? I don't, yeah, I don't have any interest in hearing what he has to say. That'd be, and you know, and I get it. Again, if you're a fan who's against it, and I think Tim understands that too, to his credit. You know, if you have Nate Peterman on your show, it'd be like having Nate Peterman on, but then not being allowed to ask him about the seven interceptions he's thrown this year with against one touchdown. You know what I mean? And last thing, and then we can move on. I think the point is this was the second time he's had the floor, OJ. He had it in that five-part part series they did in the Buffalo News. So he had it there. I don't, to me, I don't really need to hear him again. Like, it was fine. Like, I got, I got the, I understood the clicking and getting, like, good stories, like, people reading it and it didn't make mainstream media like you know national like it talking about OG talking about I think he talked about Kaepernick I don't remember what he said in the in the Buffalo news piece that kind of made airwaves but after that it's like okay yeah put him put it to bed and you know unless he wants to confess his murders it's a it's a very good point and I don't want to be hypocritical here because I said it I don't have any interest in hearing OJ Simpson whatsoever but at the same token If he were to want to come on my podcast, I probably would have him on because, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, man. He's going to draw people in and I'm trying to build a brand here. So that's why I would do it. Maybe for those reasons, that's why Tim had him on his radio show. Maybe not. I don't know. It sounds to me like Tim's good with whatever anyone's reaction is on the matter. Let's just leave that at that. We've talked about that enough. Let's talk about the Buffalo Bills for a couple of minutes. This past week, to no surprise, They finally cut ties with Nate Peterman. It's been a long time coming. I'm a little bit surprised, if anything, that at least as of this taping, we're taping again on late Wednesday night. They did not re-sign him to the practice squad, so maybe they're not going to do that. That surprises me. Three-part question here. What are your thoughts on the Bills cutting Nate Peterman? Are you a little bit surprised that they didn't bring him back to the practice squad? And one more thing. A lot of media people have been really kind to him because Nate Peterman is a good guy. He kind of won over the media with the way just, you know, his attitude and his presence and his accountability for everything. Always stood up there and talked. So, you know, he he won the adoration, I should say, of a lot of media. To me, I'm not going to be so nice to him. This is a performance-driven league, and the dude just sucked. I'm sorry, but he sucked. And when you play that bad man, you just, you gots to go. You got to go. Yes. Uh, I'm, the last part, I'm definitely going to have a long-winded answer for you. So I'll just get into the first part quickly. He, yes, he had to get cut. The guy was horrible. He threw, you know, he has, he's owns like the best, the worst interception ratio in NFL history or whatever the hell the, that stat is that everyone talks about. He was terrible. I don't, I don't, I don't understand for the life of me, you know, why they gave him an opportunity to win the starting job in training camp after, you know, having such a bad rookie year. And even actually, even if you, put in the play the rookie year 
I was think I tweeted this out a couple, a couple of weeks ago, or not a couple of weeks ago, like recently, that I don't understand how you can have a second year, fifth round quarterback be involved in the quarterback competition in a three way. Like it just doesn't, that hardly happens. Like when you have a quarterback competition, it's like, you know, veteran guy who's played a bunch of games and then like your highly touted draft pick, like in the first or second round, like this guy was in the fifth round. And it's funny, Brandon Bean did an interview. I think it was with Leo Roth from the Rochester Chronicle, Democratic Chronicle, whatever it's called. And he talked about, Brandy Bean talked about that his biggest regret was that you can't do a three-way quarterback competition in training camp with reps and all that. I was like, yeah, no shit. Like, and you and I talked about that. You were very much against like the, the reps, like having, th- having guys, the, the reps divided into three quarterbacks. Right. And it made, and it made sense. It's kind of what he being insinuated. And for me, it's like, this guy got too many chances. He sucked. And that's it. Like goodbye, you know, and he, he deserved to get cut. And, um, uh, that's how I feel about him as a football player. Now, in terms of the, the the media, like, you know, certain people, like, you know, feeling bad for him or, like, giving him, like, this, like, these serenade tweets of, oh, he was a great, compelling guy to cover or he was nice. Right. I don't get that. I don't get that at all. And there's been I a really lot of don't. it, bro. There's been a lot going Tim, yeah. I mean, bringing up, this is not the Tim Graham show. This is the Moranalytics podcast. But Tim wrote a really good piece a couple of weeks ago in The Athletic about rooting for him. Sal Capaccio wrote something up today or talked to him on Twitter or about him, I should say, on Twitter, just well wishes. I mean, it just seems like the media really, really, really like this guy and feel bad that he's gone. I'm not sure that anyone should feel bad that he's gone. Yeah, I'm sorry, I, I cut you off again. It's okay. No, the, the cynic in me, and I am a cynic, I I, I kind of feel that maybe certain pockets of the media, maybe they were doing that. Because, and again, I'm a cynic and, and kind of a conspiracy theorist when it comes to like coverage of these these players. It's like, I think they liked him that much and they wanted to wish him well, because I think maybe it goes back to like the national media, always taking jabs at Peterman and they have, they've eviscerated him. And then like during this whole process, how many times did they, did the local media say, Oh, you know, you're not there every day to watch your practices. He's better than this. Or, you know, they got to give him a shot. Or when Tyrod got benched and like the national media thought it was ridiculous and the local media for the most part thought it was the right decision. You know, they all they had a bunch of egg on them, you know, and and part of me kind of wonders, like, maybe you're just you're bowing out by saying, oh, you know what? Yeah. You know, he was a really nice guy. I really don't get the whole nice guy thing. And I'm sure I'll get a bunch of tweets like you're not there every day, blah, blah, blah. Fine. I'm not there every day. But like the guy took questions after how many games? Like five? It's not like this guy was like a you know a thirty you know a thirty two game starter who was horrible throughout it like you know and and took questions or even like a rookie or EJ Manuel taking questions after being bad like he was he was bad after like four or five starts and his answers for the most part I don't know he people talk about oh he took all these questions like he never really gave thoughtful answers in my opinion I mean the only thing I remember was him talking about God and Jesus after one answer which was completely weird and I was like okay great I'm yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't. I didn't really understand. But hey, I'm not there every day. If they want to kind of like like him for that, I I don't get it. But yeah, I mean, he he deserved to get caught. He sucked. He was terrible. And I think he should get made fun of. Okay, he was awful. And you can tell. You can come in here and tell me that well, the Bills didn't put him in a good position. You know what? Fine. But you know what? I was. Tyra Taylor wasn't put in a good position either when I took all of his weapons away. And not that many media members gave a shit. Or not, the, and I've, and I, and part of it to my, you know, and I'll be honest with you, like my whole like 
having this perception of, oh, I feel bad for him. Like, I don't because for the last you know year and a half, I had people coming into my mentions, even back to August of 2017, being like, Peterman's better than a tie rod or he's going to be good in training camp or this, that or the other thing. Like, it's always there's always these idiots who just come came into my mentions about how he was going to be good or like lay off him or and, then, and it's just like, you know what? I'm not, I, you know, and it's sorry to, for him. Like it's that there's lunatic, the lunatic French annoyed the shit out of me, you know, during his, his tenure here. But, uh, you know, he deserved to get la- laughed at. Sorry. He was terrible. Yeah, man. I agree. I mean, listen, the guy was not good and this isn't high school or college where these are kids and you tend to go soft on him because of that. This is the NFL. And when you play that bad, fans are going to pile on you. They're going to ridicule you. So's the media. You know, when Tyrod Taylor, he didn't get cut like Nate Peterman, but he got traded, he got jettisoned out here, he got dumped. Maybe my memory's not great, but I don't remember the media writing a bunch of stories about what a great person in a class act Tyrod Taylor was. And he was, for the record. I don't remember a lot of stories being written about him or a lot of great tweets or statements from people. He was just gone. You moved on. That's what you got to do with Nate Peterman. He just wasn't good enough. And that's really all I care about. I don't really care about what kind of guy he was. So I really don't have nothing nice to say about him other than, you know, best of luck in your future endeavors to use a WWE reference here. I, let me switch gears. I got one more Buffalo Bills question for you. They're on a buy right now. What are your realistic, and I want to say that word realistic here, expectations for them for the rest of this season? Josh Allen plays well. That's, that's all I care about. I do not care. If they go 0 and 6, you know, what are they? Two, they're 3 and 7. So, yeah, they got six games left. I don't care if they go 0 and 6 and Josh, but I'll care what Josh Allen does if he's playing, obviously, which seems to be the case that he's coming back against Jackson. That's all I care about. Good point. Short and sweet there. All right. Before we get out of here, I want to kind of circle back and talk WWE again. Becky Lynch, and I think you agree with this too, has been the hottest wrestler in WWE over the past couple months, male or female. And I'm not talking about appearance, although, man, Becky Lynch is hot as hell. I'm talking about talent. I'm talking about getting over with the fans, stuff like that. Anyway, big blow to her and to WWE this past Monday night on Raw when they did the whole invasion angle. She inadvertently got punched directly in the face by Nia Jax, got her face broken, severe concussion, at least according to what WWE is saying. I mean, it's indisputable that she got her face broken. You could see it the next day on SmackDown. Anyway, long story short, because of Nia Jax's haymaker that hit her stiff, she's out. She was scheduled, of course, to wrestle Ronda Rousey at Survivor Series on Sunday. That was probably going to be the main event. Generated huge interest in such a short amount of time, which to me was pretty amazing. No buildup, but people still wanted to see that. I know that I did. But anyway, she's out, and on SmackDown on Tuesday night, I thought this was kind of odd. She picks Charlotte to take her place in that match against Ronda Rousey. I say odd because, to me, I felt like Charlotte Flair against Ronda Rousey was going to be a WrestleMania match. Maybe it still will be. But them wrestling on no buildup, five days notice, just absolutely weird to me, and I don't get it at all. What are your thoughts? Uh, with the Becky thing, I mean, it's obviously it sucks for her that she got her, that she was, as you put it, the most exciting part about Survivor Series coming up, and she's Absolutely. been the most over player, the over, most over wrestler right now. 
you know, goddamn Nia Jax, who is she is about as stiff as it can be. She's yeah. got a lot of people hurt. She should probably she should probably go back to development. What would you like, do kind of if you're WWE? If you're if you're in charge right now, you're calling the shots. After that, no, I mean she also hurt Bailey earlier this summer. That's just two that I could think of off the top of my head. There might have even been more. She is very stiff. And she's got his other issues too. You know, just she just doesn't look so good in the ring. At least that that's my take anyway. Are, yeah. If you're in charge, are you doing something about that? Or are you just saying, you know what, shit happens, it was an accident? I think they're not going to do anything about it because I think Vince loves Nia Jax. Nia Jax, excuse me, because, you know, she's big. He likes that. He likes big freaking characters and big physiques, you know, and she is kind of different. And, like, it's one of those things where she walks into a room, you turn around and go, wow, she's big. She kicked my ass, probably. So, I mean, I would definitely – maybe have her wrestle some more down in development, like between, between gigs or whatever the case may be. But like, she's, she's been, a, she's been Dude, a bit of a she punched her square in the yeah. face, man. I mean, it looked, if you didn't know any better and you didn't know the business at all, you would think that she got mad at Becky Lynch and wanted to teach her a lesson. Like she hauled off yeah. and clocked her, clocked her. Yeah. She, she, it definitely was. It did look pretty like, you know, oh, malice Jesus and whatnot. Christ. I can't, yo, but, pro, by the way, props too for Becky Lynch for getting back up, continuing the, the angle all bloodied and shit. That would have been me. I would have been down until freaking next Friday. You know what I'm saying? What about Charlotte? I mean, Charlotte, I, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like in terms of there's zero build, but my, my hope is that they're saving Becky and Ronda for WrestleMania. And maybe Becky wins the world. Becky wins the Royal Rumble, gets the opportunity to go against Ronda, against Ronda and Mania. But in terms of, you're right, Charlotte was like this, rumor had it that it was supposed to be Charlotte and Ronda at, at Mania. And they could always, don't forget, they could always do like a three-way match. Like, yeah. they did that a couple or, times, or you know, it could, in the yeah, past. Or a screw job ending that Survivor Series that doesn't really settle anything. Sure, there's lots of yeah. things. And we're going to get to that, too, in a second. It just caught me off guard. I, I feel like maybe they should have had her wrestle someone lesser and just Asuka have her would have been Asuka would have been a fun pick because, like, she's good in the ring and... Sure. It would have given her something to do, given her a little bit of a rub because they completely fucked her over very badly, which I'm not very happy about. I would have gone with her probably because it would have been like, okay, hey, Asuka, this is she. She's the she's had a streak before of 300, and, you know, a year and a half of being undefeated, and now she's going against the undefeated uh, Becky Lynch, you know, or not Becky Lynch, the undefeated uh, Ronda Rousey. Like you could have maybe done a quick build on that, but that's what I would have. I would have done. I'll say this: What pissed me off the most was when was when Charlotte and Becky hugged on SmackDown. That was just yeah, I didn't like that I, either. That was awful. Because like, right now, who the hell is your main heel on SmackDown? If, are you are you turning Becky face now? Like is she like? And, and again, I use that term loosely because Becky was kind of like cheered for face. They were trying to get her as a heel, but like, who's the main who's the main uh, heel for the women's division on SmackDown? They have no one. It's, no it's, idea. It's, the, the icon twins. Oscar will become know, a heel. I wouldn't be surprised afterwards, after this show, if they start turning Oscar. That would be my thinking. She needs something fresh. Or or maybe the girl from uh, NXT, Shanna Baszler, comes up and maybe she kicks ass because she's awesome. She's a really good worker. Could be. But, could be. Heel. You yeah. just said the word heel, okay? Clearly, WWE went into panic mode. They said, we got to do something drastic. And they sure as shit did because on SmackDown Tuesday night, Daniel Bryan, I mean, out of nowhere... Gets a match with AJ Styles, wins the title, and becomes a heel. Holy shit, man. I mean, you want to talk about something that feels forced and rushed? You don't have him win a belt on a non-promoted SmackDown show 
five days before pay-per-view and I was going to wrestle Brock Lesnar on Sunday. That was clearly, to me anyway, a big-time panic move. Well, here's the thing. Um, I was listening to Dave Meltzer. He had said that, and again, he could be wrong. Like Sometimes he is wrong. But uh, he had said like this weekend was when they decided that Vince changed his mind and he wanted Brian to go against Brock. So that was before the Becky Lynch injury yeah. with with him going, hey, he's going to beat him on SmackDown. And uh, the heel turn, I guess, was they actually decided to do it like the day of. Yeah, it was just, it was definitely super weird. I mean, I'm, I'm happy he won. And I guess Brian had been pushing for pushing to go heel like he had been pushing them. Yeah, I read scenes. that like too. He, he wanted to go heel. So it's yeah, it does feel very rushed. I'm glad he got the championship because I think I I have not been a fan of Brian's run since he came back. Like you know the <laughs> having to work with Big Cass for two months just completely like slowed his his entire run. The the Miz stuff I felt was, it should have been like maybe a like one and done, and it wasn't even that good. You know, and they kind of dragged it on for a couple of pay per views. So I, I'm curious to see how this this heel persona works. I'll say this though: the one thing I am dreading, and I'm hoping this is not the case, is that he gets he gets fucking destroyed by Brock on Sunday. Like that's, that's what I'm worried about. They're going to just going to have like, I, I still don't understand why Vince would change his mind unless to say he changed it because he didn't want, he, he views Brock as like the man Like we can't, we got to protect Brock at all costs. And then at the same time, he likes AJ styles. So he doesn't want Brock to kill AJ styles, but Hey, Brian will have him get killed. Maybe that's what I'm worried about. Like, I really hope, that Sunday's a good match between Brock and Brian. That's what I'm hope- hoping for. But I would not be shocked if it's one of those things where Brock just kills him. I'm sure everything that happens Sunday at Survivor Series, we will discuss when we get together for our next segment. All right. It's your final take. We like to call it the finisher. What do you got? What's your finisher this week? I got to say, I'm very happy with the Sabres right now. They have been a breath of fresh air. Uh, I'm so happy with myself in terms of buying well in terms of my finances because I decided to buy them by their uh, the center ice package on uh, on cable, which cost like a lot. And I'm not happy to spend more for my cable, but it's been worth it so far to watch all their games. They're fun to watch. And I think it's great when you when you cheer for a team that had such bad they have been so bad for the last couple of years like like just expectations are zero and you're just looking for any positivity with them and they have shown it they're fun to watch you know i'm excited about them the first line has been great their goaltending has been good carter Hart and looks like legit they beat tampa bay the other night and tampa bay is awesome and uh i'm excited about the sabers and i think everyone should like start you know they're already starting to watch them but they are fun and they are definitely, I think, the recipe for what Buffalo needs right now. We just need to get back to the playoffs for one of our two, our two, our sports teams. Even though the Bills made it, but I, I need something where, at least, at least for hockey, they need to make it to the playoffs because it's been seven years since they've played hockey. And playoff hockey is awesome, and they've been fun so far. All right, that's a wrap for this episode. Big thank you once again to Mike Harrington and the Buffalo News for coming out and doing the show. Mike's one of the least boring people I've ever talked to. Always love talking to Mike. It's a good time. Thanks as well to my buddy Joe for coming on. 
I love doing the running with Joe. Whenever we get a chance to do that, it's always a good time. Coming up on the show next Tuesday, I got one of the guys from Wrestling Inc., which is one of the largest websites in the world when it comes to wrestling. We're going to review Survivor Series, talk about some other things. I'll also have Pat with Pucks. We'll be talking Bills, Sabres, 80s music, who knows what else. That's always a good time. That's fun. If you haven't done so already because you're a terrible person, you can change that. Subscribe to this podcast. Do it on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called. All you got to do is search the app, Analytics Podcast, find it, click subscribe. That's all you got to do, man. New episodes automatically will be set right to your phone. You can play them and keep them forever. You can play them and delete them after. It doesn't really matter. I just care that you subscribe. And if you don't have Apple Podcasts, you can also catch us on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Have a good, safe weekend. If you're up there in the North, stay warm. If you're down here in the South like me, don't be a douchebag and talk shit about people being cold because I'll tell you what, karma is a bitch. Seriously, though, have a good, safe weekend. I'll talk to you guys again on Tuesday. We're done here.